Well, good afternoon to you. This is Alan Seymour here, your host on Future of Sport, episode 34 on the All In Sports Talk platform. Delighted as a guest today to have Richard Parr, who is a sports journalist, broadcaster, uh, podcaster. And I want to begin, Richard, really, just tell us, I suppose, why sports broadcasting and sports podcasting? Well, firstly, thank you very much for having me on your podcast, Alan. Really great to be here. And uh, it, it's funny because I actually studied mathematics with finance. Wow. So I should be <laughs> an accountant or working in the city or something like that. And I just took up um, the student radio station. I was working there and I ended up doing my own sports show. And basically, it went on from there. I decided I didn't want to do numbers anymore and ended up going and doing a master's with Eurosport in Spain and then went and worked for them in Paris as a commentator and then my career took me to Sky Sports and to Al Jazeera out in the Middle East. So I've been doing that for about 13 years and then after a long stint in, in Qatar I decided to return back to the UK after six years and it really is the time of podcasting. So I've really got onto the bandwagon, so to speak, and now produce my own podcast called The Best in the World with Richard Parr, where I speak to world and Olympic champions, world record holders, and world number ones to find out what they do differently from me and you, find out what makes them the champion that they are. Uh, interestingly, we only speak to gold medalists, so sometimes we've accidentally nearly got a silver medalist and actually gone, oh, we can't actually speak to you because you haven't won gold, which gets a little bit embarrassing. And then also, currently, uh, I do a program called Sportachino, which is a, a live video streaming, a bit like podcasting, but on video, and we stream it on Facebook, YouTube, Periscope, and everything like that. And it's just a really exciting time to be involved with podcasting. I mean, really, I mean, I could almost pause, as I, I nearly did then, uh, Richard, and, and I think it, it almost requires here, you know, almost kind of just listen take on board and, uh, and the silence of the moment as you've just described it because in many ways my show the future of sport the synergies between what you are doing what you actually uh, have done and the kind of build-up and interest I mean my formative years and I have to go back a few more years than you Richard but I'm not ashamed to say that but you know I did history and politics as my first degree uh, I was fortunate then to, to do a, a kind of sports uh, certificate of education teaching program which kind of maintained and I've always had it throughout all the things that I've done but I've worked in commercial radio uh, I've done some RSLs in the early days so there's lots of synergies between your student radio and, and your kind of um, sports background and everything else I'm very intrigued let, 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 let's kind of start the, the Sportuccino um, uh, website and, uh, and facility that you've got I mean there are a lot of vloggers out there as opposed to bloggers the, the visual maybe as against the audio what are your kind of thoughts and considerations and the, the kind of relative merits or maybe even demerits between maybe uh, what you do on video and what you do on audio so I've been doing it for over 18 months, and I'll be honest, there's a little bit of a frustration. Um, yep. I got inspired by a book by Gary Vaynerchuk called Crush It, where, uh, I don't know if you know about his story, obviously, Not at all, but Vaynermedia yeah. now, and yep. one, of the, one of the biggest um, social media experts in the world. 
but he actually started off by having Wine TV, I think it was Wine Library TV on YouTube, and yeah. he kind of grew up from there, and, and he says in his book, and if you look back on his YouTube channel, he had been nearly 10, 20 people watching, and just through persistence and getting better at it, he, he kind of grew it. Sportachino launched when Facebook Live launched, and I really thought this was going to be a fantastic yeah. platform to work on, and at the time I'd come back from Qatar, I was starting to do a bit of freelance work, and I wasn't sure what I wanted to do, and then I, after reading the book, I, I kind of analysed and said, what is the one thing I've always wanted to do, and that was a sports breakfast show, and there was a fantastic one that they do in France called B, uh, on BN Sports, called L'Expresso, yeah. and it's a bit like Sky Sports News meets The Big Breakfast. And so that's what I decided I wanted Sportagino to be, that kind of light-hearted yet informative morning breakfast show where we'd have a bit of fun, we'd review what's been happening over the last 24 hours, what's coming up, and try and get a different guest every morning to give us a, a different uh, aspect of sports. And I wanted it to be... A little bit more broadsheet than tabloids, because TalkSport already do a fantastic job with that, albeit on radio. I wanted it to almost be more like the Guardian, Telegraph, um, live stream. And one of the difficulties I've found, Alan, is yep. actually the Facebook algorithm. Because I don't know how much you use Facebook, but I remember when it first came as that if I liked a page or if I had friends on it... Whatever was the latest thing would come up first. Now what it does is it aggregates what you've looked at last and continues to put that up. Yeah. When actually I want to see what's going on with my friends who I don't really see very often in real life. The, the old friends from university, I like seeing when they're about to get married and having kids and stuff. I don't want to see the same things from the same people. Correct. For example, yeah. I'm, I'm really active in podcasting groups on Facebook and I really like that, but I don't want that on my newsfeed. I know where to go for that, yeah. but all the time it's just filled with that. When actually... I wouldn't mind seeing some pictures of babies and friends and yeah. things like that. So that's kind of a struggle I've had uh, with with Facebook Live, which, yeah. which is disappointing. And kind of what I've learned in the last 18 months is a few things. One is to try and always get people to my own website. Yeah. com needs to be the home of everything, and everything else related to social media needs to be the place to send people to. Yeah. It doesn't need to be the place I want to send people. Um, if I was to redo my website, I would take off all of the other social media links, Facebook, YouTube, everything like that, and all I'd want people to do is come to my website and come to my email list. Yeah. I think that's all I would concentrate on. And But I, I think video content... YouTube in particular and Instagram videos and Instagram stories is going to play a really crucial role in the, in the next few years, Alan. I, I, I mean, I, you've come up with some fantastic points. I know already, Richard, I mean, I knew before we even uh, spoke, and, and like many of my guests on my show, and I'm sure they're the same for you, 
the, the world out there is becoming closer and closer for all the good reasons that I think we share. You know, being able to enable a good narrative and good interactions, and to, and to develop uh, the business and the industry of sport, if you like, that we all that, that we all love. So that that is fascinating. But I know that there are lots of other touch points that you know, in a very short 30, 40 minute window, is going to be difficult to cover. But you know, I've not been a massive advocate of Facebook, and I think some of the points that you've just read about the algorithms and, and, and some of the other things. But, you know, the guy that you mentioned, I, I do recall him now, although I've, n- I've not looked at him. I, I, I know I, either we both follow each other on Twitter and whatever. But one of the things I want to kind of, uh, I, I suppose, focus on, uh, you know, I see lots of things, like you said, put it under the one roof, you know, concentrate on your home, not so much your, your destination. And I think one of the things, let's look at something like, you know, the, the podcast that we do. You know, if people see that as, as, as kind of Richard and, and, and Alan, you can direct things and it becomes the starting point. It, it becomes the oxygen. Uh, of everything that you're doing so tell us a little bit about the transition from being as it were a formal broadcaster if you like uh, with Sky for example and what Richard Brand is now doing with with the best of world Uh, the difficulty is is that at Sky and Eurosport and Al Jazeera is you're a cog in a massive machine and I think I'll be honest, I almost, uh, I, I miss having all of those other attributes around me, which you almost take for granted yeah. when you're there. Um, I think the, the difficult challenge that I face is that while I can talk myself up and I can promote myself, being an actual salesperson of getting people to say, come and advertise, come and be a, a partner, come and get involved in, in Sportachino and, and bringing money towards it, that's a... a that's a real skill which I necessarily don't have. Where my skill is is knowledge about sports, broadcasting about sports, having conversations with people, and that difficulty. Well, that that is a pretty difficult thing to do is to to try and be uh, a jack of all trades when actually my specialist skill is as a producer, as a broadcaster. Yeah. So that that's something people really have to think about if they're looking to scale. You, you have to kind of learn as you go, so to speak. I think you've also made a great touch point there which was going to be part of my kind of segueing into to, to, uh, other points as uh, as well i mean my involvement now in in, in my future of sport and and the all in sports talk platform that i'm a, um, you know i have a, a partnership arrangement with it's not driven for me by business it's although obviously my background has, has been a combination of uh, working in um, commercial radio uh, as, as a sales director but also having the input of of kind of being involved in teaching and learning and education which lends itself if you like to to, to the development of communication skills but finding what is the the key to unlocking if you like the monetization the commercialization and, and everything else involved in doing this so what plans if any or what kind of um i i i suppose thoughts do you have on how to get what you're doing more if you like uh commercialized richard i think the one thing i've realized more than anything else is that 
originally the idea was that I was going to create a program and create uh, podcasts and videocasts which people would come to and want to sponsor and be a part of it. We also tried a thing where we were going to do um, product reviews and we, we thought, all right, if we do these free product reviews, then companies might go, oh, I enjoyed that product review. I'd like to get involved with the program. I think, and, and this is this is something which I, I want to get on to a, a little bit more when we speak about the importance of, of athletes as, yep. as brands in particular, but if you're going to go into podcasting and you're going to go into video casting and you want to make money from it, make sure you have a product of your own to sell at the end. Yeah. I think that's the most important thing. Uh, my product at the moment is just me. Yeah. If you listen to me and you want me as a, a guest on, on your podcast or you want me to do some um, public speaking, like I, I was at Host City and DigiPublish as the, the chairperson and things like that, that's what I'm selling at the moment. But what would be better is if I had a physical product. Yeah. And if you have a physical product, then you can direct everything towards it. You, yes, you can be as blatant as buy the product, but ultimately, by doing podcasting, by doing video casting, by being involved in social media, you're telling the story of you. You're getting people invested in you. And when people are invested in you, they'll then eventually buy your products anyway. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think, again, classically, uh, you know, and, and, and I've followed a similar pathway, particularly over the last uh, 18 months since I've been doing the Future of Sports show. Uh, I'm connecting it as part of, if you like, a value pack. And my value pack is, is, is my history and experience, expertise, if you like, of a career in both, you know, higher education, university work with students equally as well you know some of the things that i've done in in, in the sports world and and marrying them together so I, I think you know that is extremely important but I'm, I'm fascinated in in kind of listening to you because i think the parallels for many many people listening to this show many of the things that i'm, that I'm doing currently i mean i run a, a series of sports conferences and getting people together and, and people come there to obviously learn but they they equally come there to network and off that network spin-off if you like is what you call here your product and, and i think it's just uh, fine-tuning a, a lot of those things many of the early sales conferences that i went on with my sales team when i was managing sales forces in commercial radio one of the things that you know um, particularly radio salespeople talked about you know that you're not in the uh, the radio sales business you're in the ear leasing business and you know what you're trying to do is, is to reach as many ears as possible and, and, and in the visual world of many of the worlds we inhabit at the moment we talk about eyeballs etc so can i just kind of maybe just part that for a moment richard and, and, and talk now a little bit about you know uh, the best in the world and the, the consideration and it's definitely momentum and, it, and it's definitely front of, uh, almost front pages, but front of mind for lots of people, um, the way athletes now have become top dollar, top celebrity, top sports brands. What do you think about that as a phenomenon and how, how do you see that evolving over you know, a, a future period of time? Well, we're going to go back to social media here, Alan, because... Yeah. 
Uh, I, I want to use an example. Um, I'm, a, I'm a big professional wrestling fan. Right. And in the last few weeks, I got absolutely sucked in to a YouTube series. And I've never done that before. Um, and I watch episode after episode. There's 91, 92 episodes now, all of anything from 5 to 15 minutes long. It's called Being the Elite. And it's these two wrestling brothers. And they're not famous as far as the WWE, the, the big um, global phenomenon yep. platform. But they are really big on what's known as the independent circuit. And they're making very, very good money. And what they're doing there is... They show video clips of them behind the scenes, and it's normally of them pretty much half asleep, getting on a plane, saying, I've got to travel all this way, wrestle, travel again, sign some autographs, sell some merch. And as it's evolved, you get really interested in, oh, they're in Tokyo. Oh, they're, the, the guy who looks after them in Tokyo is going to be there again. He's quite funny. Or, oh, they bumped into this wrestler again. And then from that, they've created characters. And they've created almost like a little bit of a storyline as well, where apparently they, they murdered one of their friends and silly things like that. But it has got me and now hundreds of thousands of people massively involved in their personality and it comes back to what I said earlier I now want to watch the next episode I'm now subscribed to the channel and yes at the end of every episode they're selling their merchandise right yes they're they're saying where they're going to be for their next show you and I want to buy their merchandise. They've got loads of merchandise. And they are making a lot of money from it. They don't need to now go to the WWE. They don't now need to go to the biggest company in the world because they're making enough money off their own merchandise. Their T-shirts are now being sold in the American store Hot Topic, which has got dozens of um, brick-and-mortar stores across the United States. And I think that's what... The uh, sports stars certainly in the future need to think about. I, I read the other day about a company called Overtime. Yeah. Uh, it's Overtime.com is the website. Yeah. And they're using high school NBA yeah. uh, basketball players, and they're using clips and they're using highlights and they're creating characters. Yeah. And the, I, I think there's a, a something to do with uh, an ethical responsibility there if they're under eighteen. Yeah. Because in some way they're, they're nurturing talent here, but effectively, if they're doing this with really good high school players across the country, they're going to get a handful of them who are going to become NBA stars, who are going to become big names, and they're going to become part of that It's Overtime banner, yeah. that platform, and they're going to be able to grow with that. I'm really interested in seeing the process of sports stars and what what it takes to become the, the best in the world. Like at the moment, we, we've got the Winter Olympics going on, and all you're hearing about is Elise Christie this, Elise Christie that, and it's crazy for three weeks. For the other three years, you don't hear anything about her. And you, the thing is, you want to become emotionally involved, and you know what Federer has done by showing his training on Periscope is brilliant. Stan Wawrinka is about to stream matches on his Facebook Live page, even though it probably won't get very high in the algorithm. Um, Serena Williams is showing her life and her child and her marriage and everything on Instagram. And again, what that does is it makes you emotionally invested. And again, if you're emotionally invested, that's where you create the brand. That's where you can then sell the products. That's where you can get people to come to your matches and 
come to your audience. You see, if I if I could like just that. come in here, Richard, because I mean, fascinating, insightful. This is what the show and, and obviously what you do and what I'm doing, and lot lots of synergies is already explained. But I think key to some of the um, the end game almost of where we're going with this interview about maybe monetizing or make, making what we do a little bit more um, commercialized in one sense or results orientated is that you have to have that momentum. You know, you have to have that narrative that keeps building and building, you know. And the danger has always been with things. You know, you talk about Elise Christie, you know, and it, it, it's a little window in what should be the big narrative and the bigger picture and the federers of this world. I mean, you made a point quite early on in the interview that you kind of miss, you probably miss it personally or emotionally, being involved with the entourage around you at Sky. I equally know, I'm sat here in my little study at home, whereas, you know, three years ago I was buzzing every day with academic colleagues, students around me and so on. And it's that part I miss. But also, occasionally, you have it, I think an expression used, on tap and, and it's there. Perhaps what me and you need to be considering now is exactly how the partnerships that we've got already because of the guests and because of the, uh, the backgrounds that we have, that getting more and more people to come to where we're at and we then develop the opportunities for these people to get more and more actively uh, involved with us. What are the plans to... Are there any plans particularly to, more, to merge maybe Sportachino with um, the best in the world or any future aspects of what you're doing, Richard, to develop some of your ideas? Yeah, there's, there's a few things that I've got in mind. Um, what I think I've learned most in the last 18 months is the focus on specialisation and one of the difficult things I was trying to do certainly in a bootleg enterprise like I'm trying to do is try to touch too many sports try to touch too many themes and it was difficult to stay across all of them because you don't become an expert um, and that's the beauty of podcasting is the fact that there are so many different niches you know you can listen to a podcast about Liverpool you can listen to uh, a podcast specifically about uh, the championship football. There's so many things yeah. like that. And so what I would like to do is eventually, and, and well, not eventually, it's the process we're going through, is I'm actually concentrating more on the best in the world with Richard Park yeah. Podcast. And I want that to be the Sportachino platform. I want Sportachino to be the place for sports and high performance that we can and lessons that we can use to improve our own everyday life. Because I speak to so I've spoken to over a hundred world and Olympic champions now, and their stories are phenomenal. And I'll be honest, a lot of these people who I book, other than knowing that they're an Olympic champion, I don't know often too much about them. And they'll tell me things which absolutely inspire me and actually help improve my everyday life. Like I always say that there's a speed skater called Chad Hedrick and what he told me in that podcast, and it's one of the shortest ones I've ever done, I tried to use in my life and it was so impactful. And then we've got people who've gone through failures and things through that. Through that. And so I, I want to grow that. I want to try and help people get better at their everyday life, get better at their sporting ambitions. I think that's where Sportachino is going to move. Yeah. As far as the, the monetization is going, um, I'm trying to turn a lot of these interviews into articles and the 
hope and, and dream is to turn it into a book, put it a collection of, of lessons from the greatest sports stars on the planet, maybe something along the lines of becoming the best in the world or lessons from the best in the world. So that, that is one idea. I think what I'm going to be doing is producing a short version as a free ebook to get people's thoughts and reviews. I might set up a crowdfunding campaign. I'll, I'll try and get an agent and a publisher, but if that doesn't happen, I'll, I'll try and self-publish it myself as an ebook. The other thing which I want to do by the end of the year is, obviously, I've built up a, a huge connection of great contacts and of Olympic champions. So I would love to have a best-in-the-world conference, maybe a one-day conference where we have four or five keynote speakers who are Olympic and world champions, covering a, a lot of the themes that we talk about on the podcast, maybe to do with visualization, maybe to do with training techniques, maybe to do with data and analysis, all the different things that we talk about, nutrition. I'd love to do that. Potentially in London, although most interestingly is that my biggest audience in the world is San Francisco. Right. So it would potentially make sense to do something out there. So th that's the plans over the next few months. Richard, breaking news, breaking news. You heard it first live here on Future Sport with Alan Seymour. And now Richard Parr going out Wednesday, uh, February the 22nd. I think it will be uh, the best in the world in the Future of Sport conference is about to be launched. I think your idea of what you're doing, because it's quite interesting, we've gone all the way around a 30-minute interview here, 25 minutes in, and the synergies are so strong here, because I'm writing a book at the moment, and my book is a, an academic textbook, but it's also a practitioner's textbook, and the concepts, cases, and conversations of all things digital sports marketing. Uh, I've obviously done the, the conceptual bit of being a, a university lecturer for all of my life, but the cases I'm building from, the conversations of the hundred and odd people I've interviewed over the last two years and, and, and before that even. So, And out of that, the networks have given me the opportunity to, to do conferences here at the U in the UK with um, UK universities but I also recognise and you've touched upon it the importance of global here and maybe your connections with San Francisco I've got lots of connections with the University of South Florida and uh, we're about to uh, talk about a conference that we'll be doing over here uh, over there so I'm going to kind of bring some summations and closures on what we've touched upon all too briefly, sadly, in many ways, Richard, but you've given us a lot of uh, engagement on some of the things that you're doing wonderfully uh, well. If you were starting off again, uh, you know, and you talked about being a maths graduate and an MSc, you're a sport, etc., etc., what advice would you possibly give? Because a lot of my audience is very much centred on the sports marketers of tomorrow from student and, uh, and you know, people graduating in the industry but what advice would you maybe give them in kind of the, the the world of sport and the world of sports communication through lenses of journalism and and now podcasting what advice would you give them um fr from a sport as you know perspective i would again just reiterate of try to build your own platform try and focus on your own website, your own email list and use social media to help tell that story and send people to what you're doing. As far as becoming a sports journalist, try and take as much work as you can, try and listen and learn and I've worked with so many interns and you can see very quickly the people who are going to 
last long in the industry <laughs> yes. and the people who aren't. Correct. And it's basically asking questions. Yeah. It's listening, learning, asking questions, working hard, offer to make the tea, offer to do this, that, the other. The worst ones are the ones who just sit there, sat on their phone, don't ask to do any work or take hours doing the little bit of work you give them. You know, when I went to Eurosport, I was so keen that when the the guy in the football department wasn't giving me enough work, I said, do you mind if I go and ask around the other departments to see if they've got anything they can give me to do? Um, And and crucially, that turned me into being a a commentator in wrestling for them because I made that effort. And I think that's what everyone's got to do is just... Because once you get through a door, once you get through a door at Sky or Eurosport or... BT or wherever, once you're in, it's down to you to take that opportunity and, and grab it. If, if you go through that door and, and don't take that opportunity, then you, you're wasting your time and their time. I mean, Richard, great point you make there. Absolutely crucial. You know, we, we have to inhabit a 24-7 environment today. You know, you can do that sometimes um, quite classically and more easily than ever because of the, the social media and the, the technology that we have. But there's no better way to demonstrate your abilities now and your potential for the future, you know, by getting involved, by immersing yourself, by asking lots of questions, by making yourself uh, initially probably an all-rounder. But I'm going to kind of close, in a way, on something that's kind of been in my background throughout, in my thought process, if you like, in the background, all the way through our interview today, which I've thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed. And it's the best-in-the-world concept. Now, sport generally... You know, when I did my last conference in November, University of Worcester, it was all about global sport business education. And the VC there, Professor Green, opened proceedings. And we had a predominantly American audience with American professors, students, etc. And it was a global theme. And he mentioned the comment, you know, winning isn't everything. You know, and I know it kind of maybe irks a little bit, the traditional, the kind of British, it's all about, you know, the competing and the participation. Uh, but, you know, people have to come second. You only have to look at the Premiership football table at the moment. You only have to look at uh, some of the heartbreaking stories in, 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 in any Olympics, you know. But there's a lot still to be had for talking about you know the stories the journeys the excellence of people who've obviously let's say become an olympian rather than a gold medalist so how do you maybe reconcile that with the theme of your show or what kind of comments would you would you have to a discussion on that theme richard it's amazing because the one thing which i've certainly learned and from the podcast, but also from a, a book I've been reading by uh, Dave Allred, who was the um, kicking yeah. coach for the English rugby team. Yeah. And it's all about process rather than outcome. And on one of my upcoming podcasts, I'm going to speak to Gigi Fernandez, who's a 17-time right. Grand Slam doubles champion and a two-time Olympic gold medalist. So she knows all about winning. And uh, I'll give you a little insight into what she said because she never won Wimbledon before, and yeah. she was in the Wimbledon final in the doubles final, and they they were down a set, and I think four one down in the second set, and there was a rain delay, and her coach came and said to her, "You've just got to think about your process. You've got to forget about winning. You've got to not think about lifting the trophy or winning. You've just got to think about every point, the process, what you've." 
been training for, what you've gone through. And ultimately, she did win um, because she stopped thinking about the outcome. And that was really interesting to me because, you know, what we're doing every day, you know, we might not think is making any dent, but it actually is. Everything we're doing is helping us grow and learn and get better. And Yes, we might not make a fortune in what we're doing now, but what we've learned might help in the future. And I think that's the most important thing is what I've learned in this podcast is you might not be the best in the world. You could get close, but crucially, if you're doing the things right, you can get better every day. And ideally that's the most important thing. I mean, that's, that's fantastic. And and I mean, you know, there's a kind of, it's not actually going to be the closing point because I just want to make a few final comments here, but you know, I made a transition from teaching and then going into, uh, to work in um, advertising sales essentially, but I was wanting to be in sport and I wanted to be in media uh, uh, and I worked at the Liverpool Echo and then I got headhunted to be involved in, in commercial radio. And at the time, between kind of the late 70s, early 80s, I was sandwiched at a commercial radio station in, in Lancashire between Metropolis, Manchester and Liverpool. And, you know, to try and educate the audience, which would be a listening audience now rather than a readership audience, you know, um, the, the, the transition was going to be very, very difficult. Um, and we were actually known as the last of the million plus radio stations. But there was only a handful of, of commercial radio still in the late 70s. And, you know, one of the things that was noticeable is that, you know, they were all the same. I mean, apart from, uh, you know, the, the, the DJs and some of the news outputs, every record was the same. You could be listening anywhere. And they didn't have, you know, what I call in branding terms, uh, pod or point of differentiation. And what was happening, if you went to America, where commercial radio had obviously been going a lot longer, thousands and thousands of radio stations, you know what every radio station claimed to be? Number one. Number one in something. And that, I mean, you've touched on it today in the interview, specialisation and niche. And if there's nothing else that comes out, and I'm sure there's loads of things that have come out of our interview, you can keep on and you will win. You'll find something... Uh, you know that you're very very good at and eventually if you keep working at it you become a specialist in it and and you develop that opportunity and and, and I think it's a great point um, I think think though Alan you you mentioned about number one and I think again it's it's something which I have learned doing these interviews is whether they are or they aren't and that we are number one at something is good for the belief because I think it from what I've learned, it is really good to have that positive belief that you are doing well, that you're achieving something. I think it's much better, from what I've learned from these sports stars, to have that we're good, we're doing well, we're doing this thing, rather than going into that rabbit hole of actually we're, we're number four, <laughs> actually we're number five, yeah. when I think it's better to be glass half full yeah. and half empty but I mean we, we, we are consumed let's face it but I mean, in the digital world and in you know this goldfish or this microscope attention economy whatever expression I could use here uh, we need to find the positives, in, in, you know, in, in everything. And, you know, I always remember a great um, sales quote again, and I've used a couple of sales quotes today. You, know, you will get people to say yes to you. What you have to do is make it easy or easier for them to say yes to. 
and you'd certainly have to make it difficult or virtually impossible um, for them to say no to. So I think sports people probably do that better than anybody, uh, and, 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 and they're out there working on things all of the time. It's been a great show today. I'd like to meet up with you again sometime, so we'll definitely do a, a, a revisit of, of, of our interview today, Richard. But just as a kind of final um, shout-out for everybody, just give my audience, listeners, listeners and, and, and the people involved with Future of Sport and All in Sports Talk uh, opportunities to get in touch with you, Richard. How can we do that? Well, uh, the first place has to be the website, as I've been saying, that's where everyone should go. So that's uh, sportuccino.com, S-P-O-R-T-U-C-C-I-N-O.com. We're on all of the Facebook channels, uh, on Facebook, on uh, YouTube, on Twitter, Instagram, all of that. And then you can also connect with me on Twitter, Richard underscore par, P-A-R-R. Richard, great delight to talk to you. Wish you every success for both of those ventures and we'll speak again very soon. You take care. Brilliant. Great job. Thank you so much, Alan.